Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Attention technocrats of the world. It's time to come together and listen closely to another half hour of the latest in what the 21st century has got to throw at us. It's time for Tech Talk with the Duke of Future News, Mr. Matthew Dickerson. How have you been this week, Matt? I've been actually fantastic this week. I always look forward to this day, James, when yeah. we sit down and talk about tech together. But it's great. We're getting more and more listeners now, and we're actually getting some feedback, which is genuine feedback. People don't dress it up for us when they give us a bit of feedback. Tell it like it is. <laughs> I had one particular <laughs> listener who contacted me, and he said, I've really been enjoying listening to you and James. I really enjoy the information. You've obviously done the research. Well, that's good news. But- he said, you've got no idea about... There's always a but there, yeah. yeah. There a but. <laughs> no idea about electric cars, he told me. He said, there's oh, no man. way in my lifetime, and he'd be similar age to us, no way in, in my lifetime that I'll be driving an electric car. They're just not made for people like me. Maybe some people in a big city, but just not for people like me. And we had a bit more of a discussion about it. I wasn't sitting there and about to argue with a listener. But it is interesting just to see what people think about where we're going. And what I found in my lifetime in technology, James, is you cannot say well, this will never happen, yeah. or they'll never develop never that. Never say never. And I think with technology, absolutely right, never say never. But more importantly, with EVs, as an example, we are at the very beginning of EVs. It'd be yeah. like going back 100-odd years ago and some neighbour got some electricity on and me and you sitting there saying, well, these candles, we're never going to get rid of <laughs> these candles, of the are candles. we? That electricity. I'll still need my whale oil. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's interesting. Anyway, it's great to hear. I, I love when people give us listener feedback. Send your emails through, ask at techtalk.digital. It's fantastic to get that feedback with no punches pulled. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. There you go. All right, well, today we're bringing you some updates on the space tourism race between Bezos and Branson. There's some pretty neat defence tech as the US pay uh, homage to Marvel Comics this time. And we've got even more good news for those trypanophobes out there. That's three weeks in a row. There's our hat trick um, about get, taking needles, but we'll get to that shortly. Let's dive into this episode today with an update that rubs me the wrong way. I'm sorry. A couple of weeks ago, you dropped this bombshell, Matt. Windows 10 is on its way out, folks. It only just arrived, I adjusted to it, and then you told me we're moving on again. Now with this next story, it just feels like you're trying to normalise the bad news. Just do me a favour and go easy with this update, okay? (laughs) I'll do my best. There's only so much I can do. And it is interesting, what you've said is what a lot of people have said, we only just got Windows 10. What are they doing? just yesterday for Pete's sake, you know. (laughs) And... Windows 10, believe it or not, came out in July 2015. So we've had yeah, it for a few yesterday. years. That was yesterday. Yeah, sorry. I know as we get older, the time seems to shorten. <laughs> so it has been around for a little while, and that is a bit unusual for Microsoft to have such a big gap between releases. It's becoming more the norm, I think, now. But in the old days, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, it was every couple of years. So we would yeah. have been complaining more often, whereas yeah. now we've had a couple of years. I guess so. It's been released, and it's actually received pretty positively by the market. There's only been one company in the past that reached $2 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Yeah, wow. $2 trillion was Apple last year. They became the first $2 trillion company in the world. Microsoft joined them on the back of this announcement. Their share price gained a bit of strength from this announcement and obviously worth $2 trillion. So that's quite good for them. Now, and it is interesting. They've got to have some good features here, though. You hope so, wouldn't you, for that? Uh-huh. Maybe it's just the fact that people see they're going to sell more stuff, so that's good enough to push them over. But that competition between Apple and Microsoft has been going on for so yeah. long. Back in the mid-70s when you had Steve Jobs and Wozniak and Bill Gates. It's an arm wrestle. Well, it has been, and Microsoft has been in the lead most of the time. They would have hurt terribly 
when Apple hit the $2 trillion mark last year. So that would have really hurt them. They'd be quite happy to join them now and hoping to get ahead of them, obviously. But anyway, we soldier on with Windows 11. What are the features? Why are you going to upgrade apart from the fact you'll be forced to when they cut all support as we talked about last <laughs> week? Know. But what are the features you're going to jump all over? And the sad part is, James, that the features that are really compelling for people seem to be features that are like a Mac. This is the main focus oh, for it. Right. It's, it's it, where, where the, the two shades of, of colour have just sort of blended together to form kind of one, perhaps? I think, I think you're right. I think what Microsoft has done to a certain extent is, having been a leader for a long time, they've now looked over their shoulder and they've got a disease that I call LOMS, look over my shoulder. Yeah. And they've done that and they've gone, oh, wait up, look at Apple, they've got this feature. We'll have that feature too. That'll show them. <laughs> and, and it's a bit like Windows 3.1. When it first came out with pretty little pictures all over the screen, everyone said, oh, a Mac's had this for ages. Yeah. Icons, what a concept. Using a mouse to click around and drag on icons. But, of course, Microsoft said it was different. They had Windows. They didn't have icons yeah. like a Mac. But the interface is basically being described by the experts as a Mac-like interface. Isn't that an insult if you've heard yeah, one? Yeah, there's a punch in the gut. <laughs> That's right. So it's got a, a kind of a cleaner design. It's got pastel shades. The start menu button has moved to the center of the screen. The taskbar has moved. So basically, you've got a bit of a, an Apple look to this Windows that you've mm. got now. So that's not that exciting. It changes the look. Big deal. Mm. We can probably get used to that. I think the biggest news is the fact that they've now got Android app integration. And this oh, really says right. to me that they've basically tipped their hat to Apple and said, you know what, you've got us. You've beaten us in a certain area. We're going to go and team up with Google and make sure that we've got Android apps. So you've got your Android mobile phone, obviously the competitor to Apple's iOS. You've got an Android phone. You want to run those same apps on your PC. Hey, you can now do it in Windows 11. So those same apps that you, whatever apps you love and use on your phone, you can then use on your Windows PC only on your Android phone though. And that's the killer. I think from yeah, Google okay. and Microsoft's perspective, they said, let's get together and try and take on these Apple because damn, they're beating us in a few different areas. We'll see if we can team up and take them on. <laughs> so that's the big one I think is the Android app integration. They've got some better virtual desktop support. Again, the idea here is a bit like a Mac. You can switch between multiple desktops. Now, Windows 10 had this feature. You could have your own personal desktop or a work desktop or a gaming desktop. Yeah. Switching from one to the other was a bit of a pain. You had to kind of log out of one or switch over from one to the other. Yeah, I never really did it much. No one yeah. did because it was a pain. Yeah. Whereas now, just like the Apple, you can actually switch between those more or less like an alt tab. It'll be just a quick key click and you'll be from one desktop, one normal desktop to another. So you can have that same PC on your work one, your home one, your gaming one, whatever, and switch from desktop to desktop much easier. So that virtual desktop support, I think a, a real killer feature as well. Some little features there, they've added Teams to the taskbar. I think this is, again, the whole video conferencing we've got across the world. You've got that integration of Teams now, trying to take on Zoom, trying to take on, oh, wait up, FaceTime from Apple. So once again, they're trying to really take them on. But you'll be able to run Teams, not just on a Windows PC, but on anything running Android, but also anything running the iOS, so the Apple operating system, even on a Mac. So the idea here is it doesn't matter what you've got, we're having a Teams meeting, everyone get together and bring along whatever device that you've got and we'll be able to have that Teams meeting in that. You can do that with Zoom as well. So this is really Microsoft trying to get into that video conferencing space. Yeah, okay. In general, I think lots of little enhancements, lots of little bits and pieces. They've got some Xbox tech built in there to improve the gaming experience because some people don't buy a console to play their games. They use a PC to play their games. So you've got that feature or facility as well. But in general, it's a bit like when a new model of car comes out. You see lots of little improvements, little enhancements. 
Is there enough there to say, I'm going to scrap Windows 10 now and get Windows 11 tomorrow? Probably not enough that would compel you to do that. It won't be long now when you buy your new PC. It will just come with Windows 11. Yeah, mm. get ready for it, folks. Get ready for it. I'm staring defeat in the face. Um, <laughs> good, good. I'm sure that I'll be better off in the future, but I'm still not at a stage where I'm liking it, though. So let's <laughs> so just move being, on, shall being we? better and liking it, are they mutually exclusive or can they go together? We'll just move on and I'm going to leave it behind now and think about that when I absolutely have to. Back in the 80s, at the height of the Cold War, some of you will remember, there was talk of the US military developing a defensive satellite system that would fire lasers at hostile Soviet nuclear warheads. They named it Star Wars, and it sounded pretty cool, but it never really got past that chest-beating phase. 35 years on, ladies and gents, we're moving on from Star Wars, and Marvel is the new flavour. And this time the threat is, wait for it, swarms of drones. Tell us, Matt, about the new defence system they know now as Thor. Thor, isn't it funny that we just seem to have things based on some fictional movies that people create and yeah. then the US military gets on it, like you said, the Star Wars system, now the Thor system. They need to come up with their own names, James. Yeah, we could talk about Norse mythology, but really it's Marvel Comics, isn't it? <laughs> it's Marvel Comics, that's right. No one knew Thor from the Norse mythology, yeah, but right. once we're suddenly seeing it in... Was Chris Hemsworth... Exactly right. That, enough said. That's <laughs> <laughs> so the idea here is exactly as you said, you've got swarms of drones, individual drones and swarms, Drones are really effective as a weapon because you can either carry some explosives on there. They're not very large, but you don't need very large explosives to be fairly effective. Yeah, they can be controlled remotely and you can can target exactly what you need to target. Exactly right. And they can be used as almost kamikaze drones. You haven't got a pilot on board. You can Mm -hmm. fire those drones into something. Relatively cheap technology. Absolutely right. And surveillance, they can be used for that as well. So you can fly your drone in, see what's there, and then send in something a bit bigger or send in the troops, whatever it might be, to go and attack. Now... I did a conference once where I spoke at this farmer's conference and one of the questions that came up was about drones. And there was a guy in the audience who actually asked me, is it legal for me if I see a drone flying around above my house to go out and shoot it out of the sky? (laughs) And I actually said, well, I'm not here to give legal advice. I have no idea the legality of that. It sounds like it probably wouldn't be legal. Maybe he's breaking the law by looking at your house, but I'm not sure if that's okay for you to commit an illegal act. But I don't know the law of that. But I did say to him, I'd be pretty impressed if you could pull out your 303 and take a pot shot of that drone flying around and knock it out of the sky. He seemed pretty confident that he could. (laughs) But what the US military has found is it's pretty difficult to shoot down individual drones or fleet. What's the collective noun for a bunch of drones? Let's call it a swarm. A swarm, okay. A swarm of drones there. It's pretty difficult to shoot them down. So what Thor is, is a big microwave beam. They're not actually trying to shoot them down per se. They're trying to fry the electronics on these drones. So as they're flying around, it gets fried with this high-energy microwave beam, which then means that the drone can't be controlled, it loses its electronics, and it essentially drops from the sky. Now, if it's carrying an explosive, that still may not be great, but at least it drops it somewhere else, not where it was intending to drop it. So it might drop it on your house instead of my house, but that's okay for me. I survived that. So (laughs) this is the, the concept here. So it's an interesting concept. I haven't been able to find out whether or not you can heat your cup of coffee while you're sitting beside the Thor microwave beam as well as an added bonus for it. Rather than put it in the microwave oven, just put it next to the microwave. Beam and say, I've got a cup of coffee. Double as well. effect there, yeah. Good, good, good. It might be. Hopefully, they've got it fairly focused where you don't get too much radiation leakage out of it. And I hate to digress here, but there is another funny little story about the Parkes radio telescope. I'm not sure if you've ever heard about the time they thought they discovered aliens there. And so it was pretty exciting for them. Parkes oh, radio yeah, telescope, yeah. obviously, it was involved in the first moon landing and obviously the dish, a fantastic movie where they played cricket on the dish. So very <laughs> cool. But there was an incident over there where they were getting some interesting little 
rays coming in that were being picked up by the dish at sporadic times of the day. They just couldn't quite work it out. They were trying to work out what it might have been. After they were pretty excited about the discovery of alien life, they actually discovered the microwave oven in the kitchen had a small leak. And so whenever someone oh. put their cup of coffee in to heat it up, they were getting some radiation detected on the dish. So it was all, all a noise about nothing. They worked out that it wasn't uh, any life. It was just a new microwave required. So it didn't turn the air into Area 52. No, no. no. It was a possibility at one yeah, stage, right, I think. Okay. Anyway, Thor will basically be a method or a, a technology that the US military will use to take some of these drones out of the sky when they're being out there in attack mode. And again, as with everything, we get better at, working out ways to harm each other and then better ways to protect ourselves. Yeah. This is one where some places are using drones to try and cause harm to people, so we've got to work out ways to combat that. Straight out of the um, Tony Stark <laughs> toolbox, I believe, too, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so, um, and this is fairly lightweight and fairly portable sort of technology, too, I guess. A container. You can basically put this in a container on the back of a truck. You move it out to the battlefield, out to wherever the place that might be attacked by drones will be. Mm. You can set it up within hours, and there you go. You've got Thor shooting things down from the sky, not out of your hands like Tony Stark, could do, not quite as impressive as that, but not far off it in terms of having that ability in the real world to actually just park a container there and start shooting these things out of the sky. Futurists have been predicting that the access to fresh water will be the most valuable commodity very soon. The idea probably kicked up after um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome was released in 85, but uh, look, there's some new tech for harvesting water out of thin air, Matt. Harvesting water out of thin air, it just does sound crazy, doesn't it? Well, no, not not totally crazy. I mean... Water's a part of air. So. Well, you're right, the humidity there. So one of the things that's scary, one of the stats that's scary is that 29% of the world does not have access to safe drinking water. Mm. That's a lot of the, the world. Yeah. And then go further than that, 1.2 million deaths a year are directly related to unsafe drinking water. We live in a, in a very developed nation, a very developed area of a developed nation, so we don't think about it too much. We flick the tap on and out comes water. Isn't that wonderful? Happy days. We don't think about too much what people have to suffer around the rest of the world. But I don't think it's going to be too long before we do have to start really worrying about it. And we probably should be if you're not. You're yeah. probably right. That's right. And the World Health Organization says we need, what is it, between 60 and 100 litres of fresh water it's, per and, day. Yeah, that's right. And, and having access to that is, again, we take it for granted. But suddenly if we didn't have a flowing river going through the middle of our city or if we didn't have water treatment plants or desal plants, and desal plants are an interesting one because they use so much power. We don't live near the coast, but if you did live near the coast, you just go, oh, we'll solve that problem easily with a desal plant. Mm. But then you need the power to run that desal mm. plant because they're fairly power intensive. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got some waste products that come from yeah, that. Yeah, well, that salt has got to go somewhere. And um, we've already got a lot of salt that we use and market in other ways. And we're probably reducing yeah. our salt intake, so we yeah, don't I need that much salt. That, yeah. Yeah. So this concept here is taking water out of thin air. Now, anyone that's in the Boy Scouts, and I wasn't in the Boy Scouts, but anyone that was would remember that they would have done some sort of lesson on if you're stuck out in the middle of a desert, in the middle of your backyard, if you're going out exploring the backyard mm. and you can't get water, then you put your little bit of thin plastic down on the ground, dig a little hole and wait there overnight. And then the next day there'll be enough water in there to give you, I don't know, two drips of water in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just enough to wet the whistle. That's right. Yeah. And that's the same concept here. What they've got is a, quite a clever substance that's got two different coatings on the two different sides of the substance and they build a cone. So it's like a glass pane but mm. built into a cone. And on one side, it's basically 
collecting heat on that side, and on the other side, it's got a, a temperature differential so that it tends to collect water more than it would if it was just a, a normal pane of glass. And then that cone-shaped structure allows the water to come down into a point and drip off into some sort of pipe. And then you have multiple ones of these put together, and you suddenly get running water out of just sitting it out in the sun. Now, this sort of technology has been around for a little while. What makes this particular technology different is it can harvest water, get ready for it, 24 hours a day. In the middle of the night, it's still harvesting water because it's retaining some of the heat that it's generated through the day by the sun shining on it. It retains that heat on one side, still has the temperature differential between the two, up to 15 degrees Celsius difference between the two, and then still manages to get that condensation on the other side of it. So that sounds very clever. What comes to mind for me is that here's something that's collecting water with no power input. You don't have to have any sort of generation of power, plug into a power point, whatever it might be, to generate water from this thing. So it really is a standalone device you put out there. You can start collecting water from thin air. Yeah, so it's yeah, just using its energy sources from the ambient ambient temperature. Exactly right, the sun hitting it and the ambient temperature. That's right. Now, you don't get a lot. The, The theoretical maximum, which... I imagine it has to be linked to humidity somehow, but I don't have any formula for that, I'm sorry. But the theoretical maximum is 0.6 decilitres per hour. So that's yeah. about 60 mils, 60 mils yeah. per yeah. hour. They've been able to get this one in ideal conditions, which again, I assume is high humidity, up to 53 millilitres an hour per square metre of surface. Yeah, so okay. 53 mils an hour, not a lot. You and I aren't going to exist on that. But add a few of these together, add larger cones, start to produce them on scale, you can start to generate enough water, I think, that could either supply, say, a village or at least supplement a village rather than having to send people down the track, fight off the lions and the kangaroos or whatever it might be and collect your water from a well and then put it on your head and carry it back up. You've got the ability to generate water there where you are. So huge difference this can make potentially across the world. Technology new, it's working now. It's just a matter of getting to the point where they can start to produce these larger and on on scale, like make a lot of them is, is I think, the secret here. And um, turn things around for those people who are really struggling. And, uh, yeah, it could be technology that leads us to our own uh, protections in drought-stricken times here in Australia. Exactly right. Mm. Recently been through a a multi-year drought, so it's pretty tough for people in some of those areas. Again, it might even be something that you could set up for cattle out in the paddock that you don't have to worry about trying to find a water source, get near a dam, whatever it might be, pulling water from the air with enough that might be enough to generate for your sheep or cattle. So Mm. there's all sorts of uses for this, I think, very clever technology, and I can hardly wait to see more of them in operation. Yeah, see where it goes. The space race is in its final stretch. That's the space race for tourism. Jeff Bezos is going to space with his brother on the 20th of July. And I see that he's taking an 82-year-old with him. Uh, That was recently on the news. And now Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic have got FAA approval to fly customers into space as well. Tell us about that. Well, you think that means that you're safe, James. If the FAA says, we've got approval for Virgin Galactic, that's right, it's given the tick, everything's okay. It's not quite as good as that. And actually, Jeff Bezos' company, Blue Origin, doesn't actually have FAA approval yet. So if they're going to hit their their deadline, they need to probably get their skates on to get that done. Virgin Galactic obviously received the fingers from Jeff Bezos and put their own fingers back and said, (laughs) we've got FAA approval. But it's not FAA approval that I thought would be giving me a huge amount of comfort. All they're doing is they're saying, we believe that this flight going into space is safe for other commercial aircraft in commercial space. We don't really care about what happens to you when you go into space, as long as you don't hurt other people going through our commercial space. So you're not going to hurt them. All good. We'll give you the tick of approval. Yeah, right. You can do what you want to yourself. Um, And... (laughs) 
Right. That, that's a really interesting uh, outcome there, yeah. It is. And the FAA has said, we don't govern space travel. We don't have any authority over space, but we do have authority over commercial airspace. So we better check this out to make sure it's safe for us. You still need to get the FAA approval. So Blue Origin will still need that mm. because they will be going somewhere near or through commercial airspace. So they'll still need to get the approval but they don't have to get the approval for the safety of their passengers. <laughs> so that's interesting. So this is a, an interesting thing. We've talked about it before. SpaceX is in there as well, trying to get some customers, trying to get paying passengers. Virgin Galactic, they, they were ahead many years ago, weren't they? They, they actually, were, yeah. So yeah. they were heading for a, a kickoff time of 2015. This is really significant that Branson's now saying, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. They were a long way ahead. Obviously, the only one doing it, but they're a long way ahead and obviously – the the deaths and the accidents there. They, well, that was they, a major setback. They had engineers and pilots walking off the job yeah. um, saying, look, it's it's an impossible folly. You've got to drop it and just forget about it. So the fact that they're at this stage now is exciting, but it's also worrying. It'll be... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it got to the point where because other companies were getting there, the Richard Branson said, we better get back into there yeah. and obviously doing it. And so now, because they were, I think, so far ahead, they've been able to get that FAA approval before, say, Blue Origin, yeah. before SpaceX. But there's a timeline now. We've got dates set. We've got people rushing towards those deadlines. Nothing in that world would ever happen, James, without a deadline. You have to have a deadline yeah. to make things happen, to make the world continue on. So this will be interesting to see where we go, but I don't think it will be that far away. We'll see three companies flying passengers to space. Virgin Galactic, I know I've got about 600 reservations on their books for people that want to go into space. Yeah, They're not even sure how much the tickets will be. They know that it's going to be about half a million or more per ticket, and they've still got 600 reservations there. Well, before 2015, they had sold a bunch of tickets already, at least... Uh, uh, I, I thought it was uh, somewhere between sixty and hundred or something like that. Right. Uh, tickets at two hundred and fifty thousand. So ticket prices have gone up, obviously to cover costs. That's right. Have <laughs> uh, lost prototypes. Um, yeah, yeah. And so if you got a spare half a mil, well, I've already. Say, I bought tickets for you and I already. Oh, good yeah, news. Yeah, good yeah, news. So. Thanks very much. <laughs> so we're right. We just got to wait right. till they get their act together. I'll just wait till they get their act together. Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, um, free tickets for Flat Earthers. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about them yeah, yeah. getting up there in space. But I, I think they still see the it as a, as a two-dimensional object from space because, you know, things that we see in, in the distance sometimes look a bit two-dimensional. So yeah. that will just prove their – I was going to say theory, but it's not even a, th- a theory. I struggle to call it a hypothesis even. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, just to be clear, uh, they're only up there for about 15 or 20 minutes or so. Not even that. 10 to 15, they yeah, say. So okay. you, 15 would be the maximum. That would be a long yeah, flight. For yeah, you. yeah. Yeah, talk about burn through a bit of cash. Chance to float around and bounce around. The, the cockpit there a bit. Still thinking of buying some cryptocurrency, perhaps? No? Well, here's two reasons why you've made a good decision then. Tell us about what, why not to buy a cryptocurrency. Well, this is a part of a problem because to get our half a million dollars for our tickets last time, I bought some cryptocurrency oh, for you good. and I okay. to make sure that it would go through the roof like everyone said it would <laughs> and we'd have a half million in cash to buy our tickets. That's a bit of a problem because I had it bought it in the cryptocurrency known as Titan, which was a really popular cryptocurrency for a little while. That was the cryptocurrency to have because you don't want to have the one that was popular yesterday mm. because it's suddenly already inflated and all the value is taken out of it. So go and find the new one. So Titan was the good one and it went booming. It was up to $60 per coin. Some people bought it at a couple of cents, maybe a dollar per coin. So suddenly you'd multiplied your money by 60 times. Well, it wasn't this fantastic until a few days ago where the $60 overnight became zero or near enough. You had to have a lot of decimal points after the zero to finally get to where a number was. (laughs) And this is part of the problem with cryptocurrency. 
what is inherently of value behind the cryptocurrency. We know that reserve banks across the world, our reserve bank, has has gold typically behind our currencies. We know that a a business, if you go and buy shares, a business typically has something, maybe some sort of capital, buildings, maybe some intellectual property, but there's something there of some tangible value. But cryptocurrencies, uh, what is it? As I said, it's not even thin air. It's it's nothing. It's nothing. I, I mean, <laughs> it's I know you've used the example before of Monopoly cash, but I don't think that it's so far from the truth. You could go and buy some Monopoly sets and have some Monopoly cash and actually say, we've got Monopoly coin and people would buy it. Oh, look, I understand there's big money to be made in magic beans, growing <laughs> enormous beanstalks and still cranky old giants, golden egg-laying geese. You just um, get through the sales quick enough before people realise they're not growing. On that one, folks. <laughs> That's right. So that was an interesting one, so that if you were buying some Titan, it's suddenly worth nothing. And there's some people had invested some serious amount of dollars, and we're, talk, we're talking millions of dollars here, in Titan, and then obviously that reduced to not very much. It's a bit like going and putting a bet on the horses, I think. Only put into cryptocurrency what you're happy to lose, because it mm. seems like there's a potential for that. The other one that was... So, on, so, so sorry, why did the, the valley just bottom out completely? There's a few different concepts or ideas around. One was that what happened was known as a rug pull. The fact that this expression even exists should put some <laughs> alarm bells going off in anyone's mind thinking about this. The expression known as a rug pull is when the creator of the cryptocurrency literally pulls the rug from that cryptocurrency, takes off with your money. So right. that's potentially one of the things that might have happened. Another thing that might have happened was when it hit $60, people said, wow, that's worth too much. I might get out now. And so that might have increased the the supply and decrease the demand. So the price might have gone down a little bit. And then other people said, oh, the price is dropping. I better get out now. Mm. And of course, before you know it, there's a spiral. And a bit like the run on the banks in the Great Depression, suddenly everyone's selling, 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 prices dropping. And before we know it, it's down to zero. I actually think it was probably more the first one. I think Mm. it was more the rug pull because I I still think you and I have talked about it before. People sitting there creating cryptocurrencies, laughing all the way to their crypto bank and then turning it into real money. That's right. The other one, which I would absolutely say definitely is a case of exactly that, is a couple of brothers in South Africa didn't create their own cryptocurrency. They didn't actually know how to do that. But what they did know was how to say, we'll invest your money in a cryptocurrency for you. They created an entire business around investing in cryptocurrencies because some people don't know how to do it. Mm. We'll help you out, James. We'll invest some money in cryptocurrency for you because we're such good guys. And there's that emperor's new cloak <laughs> that they got the... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so if you they can't said, see it, you're obviously a fool. That's right. Yeah. You better get in now. We can get you in on the ground floor, James. Oh, we can great. take care of you. Thank you. So they created a business based on cryptocurrencies called AfriCrypt. And what they did was they took people's money and maybe, maybe not invested in cryptocurrencies. They took about $4.75 billion of money from oh, people. Wow. And then they sent out, one of the brothers sent out an email and said, look, everyone, to our valued investors, We've just had a little hacking incident. Don't worry. We're on top of it. We're going to sort things out. It just means we won't be able to communicate with you for a little while. Don't tell the authorities, please, (laughs) because it'll make it harder for us to solve the problem. For some reason, some of the investors went, hmm. We need enough time to get away on the boat. (laughs) I'm not convinced that this is really a legitimate email. I might just tell the authorities about it anyway. And, of course, they told the authorities and they couldn't find the brothers. Oh, what? Lo and behold. One of the big issues with cryptocurrencies is that people sometimes use it when they want to be anonymous, when they want to Mm. not have people to be able to trace their funds. So in my opinion, and I apologize to these two brothers if I'm completely wrong, but in my opinion, you've got two brothers at the moment. 
enjoying spending their $4.75 billion worth of cash. Somewhere in the Bahamas. Who knows where, wherever they want to be, and they're using some Bitcoin or cashing in some Bitcoin. But meanwhile, there's people in, presumably money, South Africa, less $4.75 billion worth of funds because they wanted to get on a surefire winner in Bitcoin. (laughs) So if you need some warning bells, if you need some examples of things going wrong, and look, maybe our listeners will send us something in, James, and tell us how wonderful an experience they've had with cryptocurrencies and how much money they've made out of it. But I haven't met someone yet except for testimonials, in inverted commas, on the net that tell me about how much money they've made out of cryptocurrencies. Well, yeah, and there's always the magic beans option as well. The nuclear energy debate has been a popular one in classrooms and political party rooms around the globe for years. Currently, I understand there's about 443 nuclear plants across 30 countries on this planet. Safety is a big issue, of course, as well as dealing with the uh, relatively small but extremely nasty sort of waste. But it's the sheer magnitude of energy output that cannot be compared with any of the other forms. Well, a new option, the nuclear battery, is coming on the market. This is some incredible downsizing for convenience, Matt. Downsizing. I, I do like the idea. I imagine this little AA-sized battery that you could plug into your drone and it would fire Remote for the next 20 years. car that goes forever and ever, ever and That's ever. Right. Imagine that. It would be very cool. But it, it wasn't quite that size. It's a little bit bigger than a AA battery. But I want to go back because there's a couple of interesting things about how we generate power. And I want to just go back a little bit to the start and see how we do generate power in general terms and then see how nuclear becomes so effective. The thing that I find really interesting is that water is still used in all these different things, coal-fired power, nuclear power, and water's got that property, which is, well, it's a lot of it around, so it's easy to get, but it expands by about 1,600 times when it goes from a liquid to a gas. Now, why that's good is it means you can heat it up and the temperatures aren't ridiculous. As we probably know, 100 yeah. degrees Celsius gives us a gas. Manageable. Manageable, that's right. We're not talking about 1,000 degrees Celsius or something ridiculous. So you can heat it up, turns into a gas. When it expands by 1,600 times, then you can use that to drive a turbine, to spin something. And obviously what we're trying to do, Faraday's law of induction we spoke about in a previous episode, we're trying to spin something, i.e. some conductors through a magnetic field. Yep to create electricity. Happy days. So back in 1882, when the Edison Electric Light Station was built, the very first coal-fired power station, it was using the same concept. It heated water, that water turned into steam, that created some velocity in that steam, went through and spun a turbine, and we had electricity. Fantastic. And he started building those coal plants on almost every street corner in in New York. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, because it was all on DC. It was all going to lose its energy through the wires. That's right, when you started transmitting that, because that was the big big battle of the day, wasn't it? Edison had DC and, of course, the competitors had AC, and and we know how that ended up finally. So that's still the same concept. We jump forward 139 years. We've got about 2,449 coal-fired power stations around the world, and generally they work on that same principle. Hmm. They burn coal, they heat up water, they spin gas turbines. Great. Thank you, the industrial age, but it's time for us to move on. That's right. Now, in 1954 – they went and found the idea of nuclear. Now, why did nuclear suddenly get exciting for them? It's the same concept, but you can generate a lot more heat out of a much smaller volume of nuclear-powered substance, like uranium, for example, as compared to coal. And if you go back to, I reckon it's probably the most famous physics equation in the world and probably the least understood physics equation. (laughs) It's one everyone loves. That's right. Thank you, Albert Einstein. That's right. E equals mc squared. When you take that equation and apply that, effectively it's talking about the amount of energy available in the mass of something multiplied by the speed of light squared, which is a big number, you break it down to some practical terms. To give me enough power to run my average household in coal, I need about two tonnes of coal. 
So think about a dump truck with a couple of tons of coal, dump that in my front yard, burn that throughout the year. There you go. I've got enough electricity for my house. If I take the same amount of uranium, it's 22 grams of uranium to power mm. my house for the year. Yeah, right. And that's why it's exciting from a nuclear power perspective. You're not having to provide a lot of raw material to provide a whole bunch of power. It's only a, a small amount of raw material. 22 grams, wow. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? So imagine that AA battery again. That would power your remote <laughs> control car for a long, 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 long time. So take all that together and you say, well, why aren't we all doing nuclear? Of course, you've got incidents like Chernobyl, like Fukushima, that scare people a bit when you get the complete meltdown. I think we almost get to grips with the idea of waste, mm. but just the, the Fukushima's of the world really scare people. Mm. So the concept of the electric battery, getting back to that part of it, and I apologise for the long way around there, I just think it's interesting how you get there. The concept of a nuclear battery is you take something that's container-sized, not AA-sized, you build it so it's a completely self-contained unit, you put a small amount of uranium in there, and obviously some very good protection around that uranium, and you've now got a little nuclear battery that you can go and sit somewhere as a container, put on the back of a truck, and you've got enough power to run, for example, 3,000 households for 10 years. At the end of that 10-year time frame, you pick up your container-sized battery, nuclear battery, take it back to the factory and refurb it, which basically means take the waste product out, put in some new raw material, and then you've got your nuclear battery ready to go again. Safety-wise, obviously, you've got a lot of protection within that particular device. But if you get hit by a tsunami like happened in Fukushima, you've got one container. You haven't got a whole nuclear power plant that can be damaged and melt down and cause a catastrophic amount of damage. I mean, I think they had 154,000 residents that had to be evacuated from Fukushima. There's a 20-kilometre disaster zone around Fukushima that just can't be lived in for who knows how long. Mm. So you've got all that, but with a, a container, you're able to, excuse the pun, contain that much better. But also, if you had something like an earthquake, you had something like a tsunami, you're unlikely to break that whole thing apart. So I can see factories that have high power needs. I can see neighbourhoods that want to be carbon emission free. I can see people using this little battery. Of course, the problem is the NIMBY. I I want one for our neighbourhood. I just want to put it next to your place rather than my place, James. Mm. (laughs) That's the problem, I think. Well, I I see an enormous opening there for modern farming as well because we know that farming has got to change. We're going to need uh, a lot more food, uh, so we're going to need higher yields in a smaller space Mm. um, of growing. And so I see in uh, farms sort of diversifying and and having some sort of, well, processing plant um, or even even large glasshouses, as I talked before, um, with that, that will, will require energy, um, and this might this might um, resolve some of those problems. So I'm interested there. Do you think so? There's farmers now that are out there that have got wind turbines on their farm. Mm. They sacrifice a small patch of their earth that mm. they use for, say, for example, sheep to graze on, and they put a pad there, and there's a wind turbine on top. They get paid for that, so it's a way for them to help generate renewable power, but also actually generate a bit of money for the farm. So are you thinking that maybe a farmer could say, hey, go and drop one of those containers on my farm. I'm happy to to rent you a bit of space on my land. That takes it away from James and Matthew's backyards and puts it out on my farm. And you're not too far away from where you need it. Then you don't have to run such a huge 
run of electrical cables or overhead transmission lines to get there, or are you thinking... Yeah, no, no, I'm thinking that, yeah, definitely that could happen. Uh, but also we're talking about farmers having to process stuff on their properties as well. Yeah, right. So yeah. just the, the power requirements they might have. So maybe even smaller the container, you don't need the power of 3,000 homes to maybe run that processing assembly on a farmer's yeah. property, for example. Uh, refrigeration and things like that happening on farms as well. The other thing interesting here is that we also, by having distributed power, we're also reducing the loss of transmission. Depending on where your power is generated and a whole range of other variables, you're probably losing around 9 to 13% of your power that you use at your house in transmission. So mm. if you start to be able to put these devices more distributed around the network, you're suddenly reducing those transmission losses. Well, it'll be interesting to see um, who takes that up first and where we go with it. Do you find flying too noisy? A new graphene-based aerogel material could make aircraft flying as quiet as using a hairdryer. As I understand, a hairdryer is the new international standard unit for noise. Is that right? <laughs> um, so we've got this new material that's um, going to work as an excellent insulator. I do find that interesting, James, because I don't use a hairdryer, and you probably don't use one either. We've both got short enough hair that we probably don't use a hairdryer that often. <laughs> so how, how noisy is a hairdryer? I'm not sure it's normally a couple of rooms away when someone's using it in my household. That's right. Well, it's a, it's a standard unit now that we're using. Apparently, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting. So we've got graphene. Now, graphene is pretty cool as a substance because we talk about in physics things having zero dimensions or one dimension or two dimensions. But we, we don't know of anything that exists that has zero thickness. Mm. But graphene's about as close as we get to that. We can have graphene exist at one atom of thickness. Yeah, it's essentially just, well, graphene is a sheet of hexagonal arranged carbon atoms, one atom thick. Pretty cool. Yeah. So when you take something like graphene, you mix it in with some other materials. What they're doing here is they're effectively using air as an insulator, but they're locking air up in this sort of meringue-like substance, if you like, to use a cooking example there. So you've got air, but just having air there that can flow, obviously noise will travel through that, but air that's trapped in little pockets, where those pockets are basically keeping the air apart from each other, that's the way that it's actually insulating the noise. The great part about that is it's light. So when you talk about aircraft, obviously aircraft doesn't want any more weight than possibly necessary. So it's light. You can use it in aircraft. You're basically putting it in between anywhere there's noise and somewhere there's not noise and trying to keep that between there and using that natural property of air or locking down air to actually stop that noise flow. So it sounds pretty cool. I can imagine, sure, we'll have some aircraft with possibly this sort of substance in them in the near future. But I can see luxury cars being built with this in the very near future because people will pay in a luxury car. They're not necessarily going to pay more for a plane ticket because it's quiet, but they'll pay for a luxury car with this sort of material in there. It basically, if you take the example of the aircraft, they say it will reduce noise by 16 decibels. I'm sorry to use a scientific term like decibels <laughs> rather than hair dryers. Speak, are we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, normally a, a jet engine is about 105 decibels. Now that's when you're outside next to it. You're not doing that in a plane. But by the fact that it can reduce it by a further 16 decibels, that means you're getting down to a much more acceptable noise level. Now, I use noise-canceling headphones when I fly on an aircraft, so I find aircraft quite reasonable. But when you've got to take them off for takeoff and landing for some crazy reason, it's pretty damn noisy in that plane. Yeah. Having that ability to reduce that noise, I think, makes a lot of sense. And again, it only weighs 2.1 kilograms per cubic metre. So you've got a very lightweight substance. It's just this thing I love about science. There are so many people working on so many different things I didn't know I had a real problem with noise on an aircraft, but obviously I do the fact that someone's going to go and do the research to solve this problem for me. Well, I just think uh, as another option for nanotechnology, nanotechnology to me is a very exciting field, um, and this is just one new application of it. 
Oh, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen after this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. We talk about it a lot. Something gets created, invented, someone comes up with an idea, and you blink, and suddenly it's being used in a whole range of different ways that you and I didn't think of, and I guarantee the researchers didn't think of. They've created the substance. Now let's see how it's used. I reckon I could use some next to my, or in my house, next to the bathroom. So when the kids in my house are using the hairdryers, I don't even have to listen to the hairdryers. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have to listen to you singing in the shower. <laughs> exactly. Honda's jumped into the EV market in the US uh, and they've got a new name for their SUV. Imagine the job of coming up with names for vehicles, James. That'd be cool. It'd be cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They've come up with a name, so they've got their first electric SUV and Honda have made some pretty big announcements about where they're headed in the electric vehicle field and they've got to get it right because they've put a fairly, or they've made some statements about a big bet they're putting on the whole EV space. So the first vehicle they're going to release in the US is called the Prologue which kind of makes sense and it kind of says that this isn't the real thing. It's kind of before the yeah, real thing. Yeah, right. So this is There's the prologue. More There's more coming. That's right. So I, I like the science behind it or the psychology of that. I don't know if they thought about any of that. I'm sure they did. They might have just said prologue. Well, it's cool. We'll do that. But surely they thought about it a bit to say that. Yeah, this someone is, got paid a lot of money. Maybe a team of people. <laughs> a team of people and then some focus groups, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So the prologue, the idea there is this will be a, an SUV released in the US and Canada starting in 2024. It'll be an SUV because why not everyone in America wants an SUV or a truck. Mm. Honda's aren't really known or Honda isn't really known for their trucks, so they're going down that SUV space. But what's interesting about this is this is a joint project between Honda and GM, General Motors in America. And I think we'll see more and more of that where different organisations, different car companies are saying, some of these startups, these little Teslas of the world, they seem to be going okay. We need to join together to battle against some of these other startups coming along. We know cars. We'll put our heads together and surely we'll come up with something better. We're seeing it with Toyota and Subaru. We're doing something similar. And again, here with Honda and General Motors, I think we'll see more and more cars develop out of this. The other thing that I think that Honda is is looking towards is that they still think the fuel cell, the hydrogen concept, has got some legs in there. So they're developing some of those cars as well. And they've made these grand plans to say that 100% of their vehicles that they'll sell by the year 2040, still a fair few years away, will all be either battery electric or fuel cell cars, but even 80% of their cars, they say, by the year 2035. So they've got some things happening there. They've actually had a little bit of success in Japan and Europe. They've got their little E-City car designed specifically to be a runaround, a little EV car. So they've got a few runs on the board. They've got the concept right. I think they've just got to keep going forward with that. I think, um, yeah, 100% of their car sales by 2040. Mm. Yeah, that's... That's pretty cool. For some of these governments around the world making grand predictions by the year 2050, I think the market will get ahead of them. I think those Mm. predictions they're making by the year 2050 will be very safely met, not because of those governments, but despite some of those governments. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting, yeah, just what sort of percentage there is by 2035 even, Yeah, yeah, whether or not 80% is quite conservative. We've had a couple of stories lately about making life better for people who don't like getting needles. There's virtual reality to help you get used to the idea and there's a desensitizer to numb the feeling that you actually put on your arm before you get the needle. But apparently the good news just keeps on coming for those trypanophobes. There's no more excuses after this next story. Go and get your vaccination because... Let's get rid of the needle altogether. Yeah. Why not? And you just like saying the word trypanophobe, don't you? (laughs) Rolls off the tongue. Have you slipped that into a party in the last week? Or haven't been able to go to any parties in the last week? But any casual conversations you just slipped uh, that one just into? just in the, sh- in the shops the other day um, buying some milk and I slipped it in there somewhere. Um, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the challenge for our listeners for the next week. Slipping <laughs> tripanophobe naturally into a conversation somewhere. But rather than have a needle, why not 
not have a needle. That would certainly make a lot more sense to me. This is actually a way you can receive something like a COVID vaccination, but it's not exclusive to that, where instead of having a needle, you actually just have a spray. So you literally spray a liquid onto your surface of your skin, and that is enough for it to be absorbed. The DNA is absorbed by the cells in the body, and that then triggers your body to go, oh, here's a foreign substance. I better make something to battle against that, like a normal vaccine, Yep, antibodies. And then that's it. You've got your vaccination done. So imagine just standing there in the line, someone walks along, squirts your arm with a a liquid substance of some description, and then you say, that's it, I'm vaccinated. Thanks very much. That's a sweet little... Well, I'm going to suggest that that might get the queues running a bit quicker as well. It might. It might be quicker to get through. It might be quicker to get those 25% of people we've spoken about that are scared of needles. It might be a quicker way to get them through. You can't quite get it yet. The University of Sydney is actually running a clinical trial at the moment as we speak. Maybe some people could go and volunteer for that clinical trial, but you can't actually undo it yet. But I don't think it's far away. And as we found with everything to do with COVID, things can happen much quicker than ever we thought they could before. And this Mm. will be another example of that. But it is interesting just how much we've changed what we accept as the way things must happen. Oh, well, you've got to go and get a needle. That's the way it has to be done. Mm. Someone said, hold on, Mm. is there another way we can do that? And I'm not aware of this, but I think you've seen this happen in agriculture too, haven't you? Oh, yes. Look, um, uh, if when you're trying to introduce new DNA into plants for GM growing um, genetically modified plants, uh, yeah, little lead pellets have been uh, uh, coated with uh, a DNA in a fluid form and then they're just sprayed onto the leaves and they're absorbed and taken up by the plant and yeah. um, the plant adopts that DNA. Yeah, so there you go. So we're seeing that in agriculture. We'll, I think we'll start to see this in humans again. This trial started, it's a phase two trial has already started. So that started, there'll be people out there having that experiment done and if all goes well, is it effective? I don't think there'll be too many people scared of being sprayed, but is it effective in terms of getting us all to be immune to COVID-19? Then I think we'll see this happening out there. It just seems fascinating. There we go. You heard him, folks. Sign up and be part of something new and significant. Right, well, that brings a wrap to another great week of stories of where we're headed to in the future. Thanks heaps, Matt. I cannot do this enough, James. I cannot say how much (laughs) I enjoy sitting around talking just with you about technology and what's happening, and we've just got to keep a lid on how long these go for. We'll turn these into three-hour episodes soon. We've got to be careful about that. And as always, thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. I've been your host in the form of James Eddy, and we'll catch up again next week.